Welcome back to Offside with me, Taylor Twelman, the only person whose name did not get on LAFC's celebrity attendance briefing list. By the way, for those of you listening that don't know what I'm talking about, everyone and their mother went to LAFC versus Enter Miami. I posted the list that was given to me. I think it was like 39, 40 celebrities. It's weird that Rage Against the Machine wasn't individually listed. They were just a group while everyone else got it. It's that time of the podcast again. And you guys all know what I'm talking about. It's that time where, trust me, I'm in agony that I have to do this over and over and over and over again. Now, Saturday night came, reigning MLS champions LAFC. They're going to host the new bell of the MLS ball. And it was undoubtedly, undeniably going to be the biggest game that MLS has ever seen. It also was one that I would have bet my house on it that Inter-Miami would lose. Now, I got the sheet. As I said, 39, 40 celebrities, they're going to show up. And I knew 32, 52 LAFC fans were going to deliver, that they were going to deliver times 10 in atmosphere, in ambiance, in sound. And this was going to be the day that Messi and Inter-Miami finally come back to earth. And just like last week, we had members of our team in the stadium to give you the feel, to capture the spirit of Sunday's game where Messi reminds all of us, it's my world, not yours. I just want to say Messi, like, words came to describe how I feel right now. We're going to drown out the Messi fan. We're going to be louder the entire game, and I'm fairly confident that by the end of it, he's going to say this was his toughest road test so far. I think our team's better. I think our team's better. I Maybe you'll use this against me after the game, but I think as an overall, our team is better than Miami. What are your names? <laughs> Glenn Howerton. Rob McElhenney. Nothing but just chaos. Wall-to-wall energy. Feels like a like a final or a cup final. Energy is insane. I want to see him score. He needs to score. So I want LAFC to win, but I also want Messi to score. What about an assist? Will an assist make you happy? No. It would be kind of disappointing not to see arguably the greatest football player of all time not score. I have Messi scoring an own goal. <laughs> What's more likely to happen first, Wrexham Miami or Wrexham LAFC? Oh, wow. Next summer, maybe we could play both. I'd like to see that. I'd like to have our cake and eat it too. I'd like to see that. We've got Owen Wilson here. The energy's always great at these LAFC games. That's why we love coming, but tonight, <laughs> it's next level. Have you seen Lionel Messi play before? Only on television. I'm excited to see him in person. You just saw him come off the field here, and it's a big deal. I wouldn't mind seeing Messi score a couple goals just as long as LAFC gets more. Will Farrell, part owner of the LAFC. This is so cool for the MLS. This is so cool for for LAFC. It's a chance for the guys to really step up in this playoff atmosphere and kind of show, you know, he may be one of the best players in the world, but are we one of the better teams? I'm going to say 3-2 LAFC. Like Miami it. has to lose at some point. It might as well be here. 
Messi. Oh, Jordi Alba's in! Jordi Alba for two! from the team in pink here in Hollywood tonight. Three nil inter Miami. Inter Miami, 11 games unbeaten since July 21st. This performance just raised every eyebrow in Major League Soccer. The place was insanity. The atmosphere was unbelievable. 32-52 delivered and then some more so than Denis Bawanga Carlos Vela and the LAFC players. I thought it was very interesting, by the way, Steve Torundula postgame saying the players aren't playing at the levels they should be, and that's on me. Very honest and transparent. Speaking of honest, at this point, I don't think we should be allowed to bet against the men in pink. Why should we when they refuse to lose? However, you guys that know me and you guys that are learning to know me, I'm stubborn as hell. And guess what? I'm still going to say they missed the playoffs. Messi's going on international duty. And he's not even certain to start immediately when he comes back September 16th at Atlanta on turf. And Miami still needs every possible point win they can get in order to get into the playoffs. So I get it. They drowned out the black and gold in L.A. this past weekend. They were fantastic. Drake Callender looking like Cisco with his blonde hair still standing on his head. He'll be available against Sporting Kansas City, but he's also going away with the U.S. men's national team. Now, while we're talking about the international break, we've got Florian Balligan, we've got Ricardo Pepe later on in the show. But before we get there, we still got some headlines in Major League Soccer. So here we go. In this battle of heavyweights, the knockout blow from Leonardo Campana, Miami flying into the Hollywood night 3 0. So naturally, where do we start? We start with LAFC. And here's the question. Is LAFC no longer the best team in Major League Soccer? Now, I'm not going to go there just yet. But the fact that I'm even asking that question tells you I'm starting to believe they may not be. So here's the context, right? Steve Chirondolo, after that loss, defeated, naturally, they were embarrassed, losing 3-1 at home, even though the first 20 minutes of the game, they were easily the best team on the field, but post game, he's saying, quote, a lot went wrong. We didn't show up to play. Nobody did. We just got beat. Most of our players are not playing up to their ability. That's on me. End quote. Pretty honest, pretty transparent. As honest as Chiellini was when he warned LAFC before the match, quote, we better have a plan beyond just stopping Messi. End quote. They didn't. Busquets, Farias, Alba, all key contributors to beating LAFC. Now, remember 20 seconds ago when I told you LAFC was the best team on the field 20 minutes in? Oh, boy, they were. They had chances to win the game. But they lacked composure and quality in the final third. In the final third in front of goal in a packed stadium where 80% of the fans were behind them. Now, Chirundolo, the head coach, puts the inefficiency down to a quality issue I don't know about that. I'd argue LAFC's 
before Messi and Busquets and Alba got there was the best team, the deepest team in Major League Soccer, hands down. But something's amiss. CONCACAF Champions League final. League's Cup loss against Monterey. And this one at home. Now, this is LAFC's first home loss to an Eastern Conference opponent since May 2021 against New York City FC. Only their sixth game in the last 50 days where they said, hey, for the last five weeks, you've been talking about Messi and the team in pink. Uh Uh-uh. This is our league. This is our reigning champion Supporter Shield Winners League. But they didn't do it. And that CONCACAF Champions League final, that Monterey loss to League's Cup, and this loss to Inter-Miami has me questioning whether or not LAFC is the best team in Major League Soccer. And I'm going to say right now on September 6th, they are. But that gap is a lot closer. A lot closer because every single time they have the ability to put the stamp down and remind everyone for the last five years this league has been ours with an MLS Cup trophy, with CONCACAF Champions League final appearances, with two Supporter Shield winners. This is our league. I'm not sure it is anymore. Hey, this is our place. This is our home. This is our performance, complete from A to Z, but one way, not any other way. It's our way. Enjoy. Tomorrow is off. Now, why am I saying that? Because St. Louis City may just pull off a first-place finish in the Western Conference. Now, will they? I'm going to tell you no. Because I still believe, in my previous point, that LAFC is the best team in the league by a small margin. Now, St. Louis City inching closer and closer with each slip-up with Seattle and LAFC to an unprecedented first-place finish in the Western Conference. Now, they've led the West since Week 14, but this 2-1 loss on Sunday against Sporting Kansas City, yes, I get it. A couple calls didn't go their way, but Polito, who's on fire, Sporting Kansas City, since May, have scored more goals than anyone in Major League Soccer. But there's seven games to go, and the reason why I'm reluctant to tell you that St. Louis City is going to pull off a first-place finish in the Western Conference is four of those are away from City Park. And City Park is as dominant of a home environment that anyone will have. And on September 20th, Wednesday night, yours truly will be there, LAFC will travel to St. Louis City. That game will be for the number one seed in the Western Conference because Seattle Sounders don't have enough. They don't have enough. They have experience. They have experience in coming back. But what I've seen from the Seattle Sounders this year This is a two-horse race. It's either St. Louis City, the expansion team, or the best team in Major League Soccer over the last five years, LAFC. In the final games away from home for Sporting Kansas City, LA Galaxy, Houston Dynamo, arguably the hottest team in the league, Minnesota United, Vancouver away. St. Louis City have lost seven of their 13 games away from home. If they find a way to sneak into the playoffs as the number one seed in the Western Conference, good luck to everybody else. Good luck of trying to win games in the playoffs in that environment in cold weather. St. Louis City may be in the MLS Cup final if they're a number one seed. If not, 
you're going to have to go where Inter Miami and Lionel Messi just survived at BMO Stadium. Racing the other way, Miazga hot on his trail, pulls it back. It's Facundo Torres. The ball stayed in play, and the goal will stand. And Orlando City have a 1 0 lead here at TQL. And it is that man again, Facu Torres. I want to move to the East. I already mentioned him, Orlando City. They just beat St. Louis City, the Western Conference leaders. They beat Cincinnati on the road, the Eastern Conference leaders. So the question is this, how good can Orlando City be? Now, we've seen it historically in Major League Soccer. When you get hot going into the playoffs, you can steal an MLS Cup appearance. And in the space of a week, I just told you, Orlando City, they beat the Western and Eastern Conference leaders. Now, it wasn't pretty, but oftentimes that's what it is. Now, FC Cincinnati was unbeaten in 13 games at TQL Stadium. Didn't matter. Fagundo Torres, Orlando has the difference maker that when you grind out results like this time and time again, he's the kind of goal scorer that pops up and steals three points. He's got 11 goals on the year. Now, were they underwhelming to start the season? Sure. But it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. And they've got pieces to make a strong push into the playoffs. But the encouragement I have about Orlando City is Oscar Pereira's ability to, one, dictate the game at his tempo, but two, most importantly, and teams hate this. I even hate it at times watching it. The emotional part of the game. Now, sometimes the emotional part of the game has gotten the best of Orlando City in the playoffs. But Orlando City is the one team, the one team that got under the skin of Lionel Messi and Sergio Busquets. And that should be the blueprint of not only how to play Inter Miami, but more so of who you're going to get when Orlando City plays in the playoffs. They've got big matches coming up. They've got Columbus Crew and Inter Miami before the end of September. I'm telling you right now, if they get six points in those two games, nobody, and I mean nobody in the Eastern Conference, is going to want to play Orlando City when the playoffs come around. As we talked about, it's the international break. There will be five MLS fixtures this weekend, which means 66 MLS players from 26 different countries are headed away from their clubs to join their national teams. Now, of course, all of us in this nation, this beautiful nation, are going to be focused squarely on our men's national team who play friendlies against Uzbekistan and Oman over the next week. But it's also the return of Greg Berhalter. We are in the beginning of a new cycle with everything building towards the 2026 World Cup where the United States, Mexico, and Canada will host. Now, we talked a little bit about the squad last week with features first-time call-ups for Miami's Ben-Amin Kramaski, as well as returns for Miles Robinson and Cade Kalf. Now, there's new faces, there's old faces, and faces we're hoping to see a lot more of in the coming years. But there's two faces that I wanted to talk to. The number nine position, which in my opinion is the most important one to find before the 26th World Cup comes. Florian Balogun, as well as one of FC Dallas's finest exports, now of PSV, Ricardo Pepe. So is it Ballo? Is it Flo? Like, what wh- what are we going with, my man? Please tell tell everyone exactly how you want to be called and what your nickname is. My teammates call me Ballo, 
Um, of course, what I wear on my jersey is Balogun, my full name. But yeah, the nickname is Balo, and that's what I that's what I go by. Of course, naturally. So Balo, let's get into it. This is your second national team camp. It's a little bit of a whirlwind for you at the moment. You now just switch clubs. Is the international break while switching clubs a good thing or a bad thing, or are you just kind of excited to just get on with it? Yeah, I think it um, it depends on your perspective. It can definitely be difficult because you're trying to sort things out at your new club, and then you've got to go uh, like. 10 hours across the globe to obviously link up with the team. But now nah, for me, it's been good. It's been an opportunity to just uh, sort things out uh, from afar. Yeah, of course, I'm I'm happy to be with the team. And yeah, it's a good thing for me, the international break. Yeah, let's stay with the international scenery first and foremost. This is now your second camp with the U.S. men's national team. Your first one, great impressions. Is there a level of now comfortability with it? Are you excited about it? Or are you still feeling like the new kid on the block? Um, I'm definitely a bit more comfortable with my teammates, seeing everyone. It's not so it's not so awkward because you've you've built relationships from the last camp. But um, I would still say I'm fairly new. Uh, maybe times where we're at dinner and they're talking about just jokes that they've had because they've been in the system so long. So I can't relate to all the jokes just yet. But um. No, it's good. I mean, I'm enjoying every moment here. And uh, of course, it's a pleasure and an honor to be called up. So when players back in England, back in France, wherever you may be, asked you about your first international camp with the United States, what do you tell them? Honestly, I told them I'm so disappointed I didn't do this sooner. I mean, the vibes here are just amazing. Everybody is so passionate. Of course, the the coaching staff and, and everyone's so friendly. They made me feel really welcome. So... It's all good news. Um, everything I say and everything when I tell people, it's all, it's all positive stuff. Talk about the football. Is there a level of you that was surprised a little bit, maybe at the quality or more so just the ability that you look at this and say, wait a minute, we, there's some talent here. We can actually do something. Yeah, I was aware of the talent before I, before I came into to camp, so that didn't really surprise me. But um, I think the detail in coaching uh, kind of took me, took me aback because... It's really, really detailed stuff. The way he wanted us to press against certain teams, the way he wanted us to keep uh, ball possession. These are all things that I was, it was new to me, but it was good at the same time because, of course, me coming from Arsenal at the time, it's a possession-based team. So you're used to hearing stuff about how to retain the ball. So it was similar things with the U.S. national team. So it was really, really good. This is your first time with Greg Berhalter. He now returns as the head coach of the U.S. men's national team. Have you had conversations with him before this camp? And what is what have those conversations been since you guys joined up? Yeah, we've had uh, two or three conversations before the camp. I actually met him in person when I was in Washington with uh, Arsenal in preseason. So um, it was nice to speak to him one-to-one for maybe like 10, 20 minutes, just get to know him and he got to know me. And then... Uh, he was just tracking me uh, when I moved to Monaco, just making sure I was okay, asking like how I was feeling about camp. And then, of course, when I've got into camp, I've just spoken to him. And yeah, he's a really, really good guy. He's made an effort to make me feel comfortable. So I'm just looking forward to repaying him on the pitch. Did you ask him his opinion about uh, Monaco and the other maybe options you had? Or was it more of just him checking in, making sure you're comfortable with it? Nah, for sure. He wanted to know. I know he's... Uh, He's got a very diverse background. He's played in a lot of places and he's he's learned a lot of cultures, which he told me when we were speaking. Um, so yeah, I told him about Monaco. He told me things I should know, just the football inside, obviously a bit about the city. 
and um, the country, sorry. And yeah, uh, I definitely caught up and uh, was able to pick his brains on it. So why'd you pick Monica? Um, I feel like for me, it was important to obviously go to a side that's competing to win stuff. Mm-hmm. They're a really big team in France, in the French League. And uh, at the same time, I want to play games. I want to be able to, to prove myself and prove to, to just people around that I'm capable of playing and uh, being the main striker for a team. So yeah, in the end, when Monaco was interested, it was, a, it was a really easy decision for me when I told my agent, this is the only place I wanted to go. And luckily for me, he made it happen. When you have to make some of those decisions, who are some of the most important voices in your life to make those decisions and and that you will actually listen to um, when they give you that advice? I obviously speak with my family. Uh, I don't really uh, go into a decision without, without consulting with them. I, I also speak with my agent. I live by myself, so I've lived by myself for quite a while. So I do spend a lot of time by myself and... And yeah, I think it's just it's just me almost asking myself questions and seeing if I'll be able to to work in certain environments. And these are just things I've learned over time. And and yeah, I think it's helped me to just be able to be calm when I'm making decisions and know it's the right one. Growing up and even in this stage of your career, who are the players that you watch? Who are the players that you emulate and, and, and try to play like? Yeah, there's there's loads of great players uh, that I take inspiration from. I remember last year uh, when I was on loan, uh, we played against PSG and I had the opportunity of playing against Messi, Neymar and Mbappe. For me personally, the player who's, who obviously struck out the most in terms of when we was analysing them was obviously Messi and what he's done in the game has been undeniable. Um, but also Mbappe, I think he's somebody that I really look at and admire in terms of the way he, he's he gone about his work and the way he's just so efficient and so effective at such a young age. So I wouldn't let, just because he's um, a young player still, I wouldn't let that get in, in the way of me learning from him and trying to take mm-hmm. tips from his game. So when you scored against Messi's PSG, is that the goal you're going to tell your grandkids about the most? <laughs> Look at that <laughs> smile. <laughs> Hopefully there'll be more goals I can tell him about or her. But uh, no, for sure that will be one of them. Ballo, when people talk to goal scorers, there's different ways to define success. You scored 21 goals last year. Do you set yourself up at the beginning of every campaign with a goal total that says, this is how I'm going to score goals this is how many I need to score to have success? Or do you view success in a different way? Um, last year, I did have a, a, go, a goal total that I wanted. I, went, I obviously went into the, um, into the season with an aim. And my aim was 10 goals with that being my first professional uh, season and in a different country. I just felt that was an appropriate goal to give myself at the time. Obviously, for me, I was able to, to do better than that. But... Going into this year, I've set myself a goal again. And yeah, I think it's just a good way to be able to keep you focused because not every day is is positive when you're in life, to be honest. I feel like there's some days where you need extra motivation or you need to remember why you're doing it. So I feel that's what goal setting allows you to do. And yeah, this season I've set myself new goals and, and higher goals that will test me more. When you made your first appearance with the United States and you participated in that first camp, was there a player that caught your attention by surprise where you were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I did, who, who is this? I feel like it wasn't a player that caught me by surprise, but it was more um, how fast Tim Tim Weir is. I mean, uh, there was a few balls that got 
pinged him behind and then he was just like a chameleon just running. And then uh, he's put the ball in the box and even me, I'm a quick player, but I, some of them I didn't manage to get there in time. So I was a bit, I was a bit like, whoa, that took me by surprise. But um, no, nah, who's faster, you or Tim? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to send this to Tim no matter what you nah, say. I'm going to right? have to say me. I'm going to have to say me. But um, <laughs> no, nah, for sure, for sure. I already knew the team was, the team had loads of good players. So I wasn't, I wasn't too surprised by anyone. All right. Last one for you. 20 years from now, when all of us are talking about you and your career and you as a person, what's the one thing you want all of us to say? I want people to remember me as a game changer, somebody who had an impact on big games in the big moments. That's that's all I think about, just people remembering me for them for them fine moments and, and being size of clutch, as they would call it. Yep. 20 years from now, I'm going to be talking about how you were the second fastest player of the U.S. men's national team in 2023 behind Timothy Leia. <laughs> Ballo, I appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to catching up with you down the road, pal. Nah, for sure. It's really nice to meet you. Good luck, man. Rico, appreciate you taking the time in between trainings with the U.S. men's national team. Let's just get right into it. Recently, you've made a move to PSV. You hit a huge career milestone getting your first European minutes. Just take us through that process, you know, picking up your first goal in that competition. It feels really nice, of course, scoring my first goal in European competition. Uh, but the thing is, like, you know, I just haven't had time to, like, sit down and digest it because we've had so many games. We play two games a week and... That's kind of like the schedule when you play European competition, you know, and then you play in, in the league. But of course, it's something that I'm very excited for the future. Of course, we have Champions League coming up now. So just very excited and ready to ready to work for that. Rico, is that hard for you to get into a new club or would you rather have three or four weeks of training, get your housing set up? Or is it even almost better for you that you don't have time to think about that? You get thrown right into it, you start scoring goals, and then you're off and running. Yeah, I think it's better you just get thrown into yeah. into the spot, yeah. you know, and then you just, you know, start trading right away. That way you don't really have to worry about things off the pitch. You just have to worry about playing. You have games every three days. So, you know, you just focus on the next one. So it's just... I think for me, it's just to get better thrown thrown out there. I think for some of our listeners, they don't know that Ernie Stewart, who is a former U.S. international, obviously a former big part of the U.S. men's national team, he's now the current director of football at PSV. What role did he play in convincing you to make the move? Uh, you know, he, he was uh, he was he played a very important role because you know, of course, there was there was some confidential talks that I had with Ernie before even signing with the club, and of course, you know, I had a good relationship with him at the national team, so. You know, he had a big role in to, to play when it came to making my decision. And, you know, of course, he's a he's a great guy. So, you know, we had very good conversations and, you know, he's a, like I say, he's great having around. He also is a huge believer in your ability. Does that give you a little bit more confidence, I think, for just you knowing that you're in the right spot to really develop and make the next move? Yeah, of course. I think having someone who always believes in you, you know, he believed in me and with the national team and now at PSV, I think, you know, it just gives you a lot of confidence and it makes you feel good being at the club. I, I don't find a coincidence either that soon as you make the move, Serginho Des, Malik Tillman come. Like, now you've got three of your U.S. international teammates with you. Hey, what is that going to be like and how quickly have you guys connected, not only in the national team camp, but more so regarding what's going to go on in Eindhoven? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's great. It's great to have, uh, you know, two teammates that you have at the national team now at a club level. You know, you always have that chemistry between you guys. And I feel like it translates even to the national team. Now, you know, I have a closer connection with Serginho and with Malik ever since, you know, they joined PSV. So, you know, it just helps everyone all over the place. What's been the best thing for you? You made the move to Germany. 
it was a little bit of a struggle. I think more so the club than what you were doing at the club level. That was a difficult situation. You then make the move to Dutch football. It's been fantastic for you. You're scoring goals. You're now making another move for another stepping stone in your career. What was the most difficult transition from Major League Soccer to European football right away for you? I think it was just the intensity of the game, you know, of course, going yeah. from Major League Soccer to a league like the German League, which is very aggressive. People are very physical and, of course, it's faster. I think that was the biggest difference. But then, you know, like I said, not playing as well was also a little bit difficult because you don't really get to get used to, to the rhythm of the game and get used to the speed. But I feel like as soon as I made my move to the Dutch soccer, you know, I feel like, you know, I started getting minutes and, you know, I started getting mm -hmm. used to, to the speed of play. So, you know, that came out very well. And I think anything helps when you get chances as a center forward. In Germany, chances were very few and far between. Now you get consistent chances. Is there part of Dutch football for us on the outside that we don't understand that you think is underrated when it comes to playing in Holland? Yeah, I think for, you know, their playing style is just always keep the ball, short passes, you know, attacking. So they have a very nice style of football, which is why why I like the league a lot. And of course, a lot of opportunities for the young players. And I feel like it's a, it's a good stepping stone for a young player as well. A former teammate of mine, a former U.S. international, Demarcus Beasley, is on the record. Say he, he also spent time at PSV. He's on the record of saying this is a great place for you to take the same steps he did individually, as a teammate, as a professional, to then move on to the next step where you want to go. Do you agree with him or are you still in that frame of mind of saying it's wait and see, let me see how the season goes? No, I agree with him completely. I feel like being at a club like PSV, you know, you know, I signed there a, a five year deal. So, you know, I, it's about patient, of course, and it's about, you know, working every day, trying to trying to get better as a player. And I feel like at a club like PSV, it's a club that, you know, they're they're known for, you know, making big transfer players. Yep. They're, they're always helping players go out to the big clubs. So, you know, I feel like I'm in the right spot and, you know, I'm just going to keep working until I get my opportunity. Rico, I'm just curious, who did you watch when you were younger and who do you watch now? Who do you try to emulate within your game? Because you've got a very unique skill set as a nine. I'm just curious, who did you idolize? Yeah, so, you know, just growing up, I used to be a, a big Ronaldo fan, of course, you know, but I also used to watch a lot of uh, Raul Jimenez. He was also one of my one of my idols growing up. And then now, you know, I watch players like Alvaro Morata, who I feel is similar to my playing style a little bit. But, of course, you always want to watch players like Haaland, who's always scoring, you know. So, you mm -hmm. know, I feel like I, I like to watch a lot of players, but I feel like I, I can connect myself more with players like Morata, Raul Jimenez, players who play similar playing style to me. Well, why do you say Morata? Because I, I find that a very unique skill set and in, in someone that's very diverse in how they play as a nine. Why do you see that? Me and my agent are always comparing myself to him and, you know, just the way we move on the pitch a little bit, you know, we're not we're not the fastest player, we're not the strongest players, but somehow we we still end up fighting, finding space in the box and scoring goals. So I feel like I compare myself pretty well to him and it's just... Uh, you know, scoring goals, when it comes to scoring goals, I feel like he's a very effective player. So I think that's the most important thing for a striker, you know? He's also done it in in different leagues in different countries, which is a huge feather in his cap. I want to, I want you to go back to FC Dallas. How did FC Dallas prep you for these steps? Because I think, Rico, for a lot of people, including myself, where the academies weren't around when we played as a younger player, You've lived it. You've done it. You've now used it to further your career. I'm just curious. Was there one or two things 
that FC Dallas did for you that helped you get to this place? Well, I think, you know, ever since I moved to the Academy of FC Dallas, they just always believed in my abilities. And, you know, they were always there putting me in situations where it was kind of out of my comfort zone a little bit. They were always making me go up train with the first team when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old. So, you know, I felt like it was just putting me out of my comfort zone where, you know, it helps a player grow. They were always believing in my abilities, always there with me, you know. There were situations where, you know, I signed with the second team and I was training with the first team. So, you know, they were always just believing in me. And, you know, thanks to them, you know, opportunities they gave me, thanks to Lucci, you know, I, I was able to to make a stepping. stepping. I'm smiling really big for the listeners at home because I was in Atlanta. FC Dallas is playing Atlanta United. And I asked Lucci about the starting 11. He gives me the 11. And Rico, no joke, he didn't even stop talking. He goes, but I've got this kid. I've got this kid. He's in the academy. He's coming through. He literally told me 18 months before you made your debut, you were coming. The train was coming. There was a real connection there with Luchi Gonzalez, wasn't there? Yeah, there was a special one, to be honest. He was always a coach who, if I was doing something wrong, he would always tell me like, hey, like, you know, make sure you get yourself right because I truly believe in you and you don't want to waste your talent. You know, he was always just pushing me to my limits. And I feel like that was the most important thing. He was just believing in me, like you said, but always just pushing me to my limits, which was the most important thing and very confident in me. And he was always telling me to be confident in myself. Yeah, I I can see that confidence when you're on the field. Rico, I just think it's very interesting for our listeners to understand this. um, What's the word I'm looking for? The reputation of American players. And I think your generation, this United States men's national team, has changed the reputation of American players. Would you agree with me? And if you don't, tell me how. But how how is the reputation of the American national team player perceived in Europe versus what you heard about it from 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, you know, to be honest, you know, you see, uh, you know, every single player on the national team squad now, they're all playing in in the big leagues and not in Europe. You know, they're all competing for a starting spot in the big clubs. So, you know, so I think like you see, you know, when the national team comes together, now we're competing versus, we're not just competing versus big national teams. Now we're wanting to beat them and we're, we are expected to be, not, to be teams like Germany, be teams like, you know, Portugal, you know, now we're expecting as a team to beat them. And you see, you know, there we have a lot of young players, but a lot of players who are out there in the big leagues in, in Europe competing, playing Champions League. So, you know, we're a different squad for sure. And, you know, we have a lot of talent. Yeah, you have a lot of talent indeed, but you also have a lot of young talent. I'm just curious from your perspective, because now with Florian Ballingen come into the equation, Josh Sargent scoring goals, there's a lot of players now fighting for that number nine role. Do you guys all share with each other the goals you have, or is this a healthy competition? Because Rico, from my point of view, it looks like it's pretty healthy. All of you want to score goals. All of you want to be V9. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, we it's it's all healthy, to be honest. You know, I talk on the pitch with Balu, and, you know, we, we're always talking about the situation we're put in. It's, it's all healthy competition, of course, but, you know, at the same time, we all want to do the best we can for ourselves. And I feel like that's that's the best that's the best way I can describe it. You know, we want to do the best thing for the national team and for the squad, but we also want to put ourselves out there and score goals. Yeah, there's nothing better than a healthy competition at the number nine position. G- give me something that you and Bello have talked about on the field, just what you've seen. I know both of you are different. How are you different than him? Just uh, how has that relationship kicked off early on here? For example, if there's a situation in training where, 
you know, he did something or I did something. And then, he, you know, he's watching from the outside. We're just talking about, oh, what would you have done? Or, you know, what could we have done better? Or, you know, we talk about training a lot sometimes. So I feel like, yeah, we're two different types of strikers. But at the end of the day, we have one goal, which is to score, you know. So, you know, it all comes down to just scoring. Yeah, no doubt. Not a better feeling in the world. Rico, you're back into the squad after an absence that I struggled on national TV to describe. I know you've said you've moved on with Greg Berhalter. I love, by the way, the fact that you hung up on him when he called you, but I think you've handled yourself in the media world with real class. He's now made his return to the national team. How has that been just with your early interactions with with Greg Berhalter so far? Well, I mean, to be honest, I never really had a problem with Greg. You know, I feel like, you know, the interaction we've had so far, you know, we had a phone call before this cap and he just explained to me my role in the squad. He explained to me that he was back. So it's it's all a healthy relationship with him. You know, I've never had a problem with him at all. So, you know, it's it's all normal. And of course, we have a good relationship on the pitch. He's always telling me what, on video, if he sees something, he's always telling me to improve this, improve that. So, you know, it's all it's it's all a good relationship, to be honest. When, when did he call you, Rico? I'm just curious. Did he call you before this camp or was it after the Nations League uh, final? No, it was uh, like a week or two before this camp, yeah. And, and was that conversation short and sweet? Because I know you and I know there's a chip on your shoulder the size of Mount Everest to put the ball in the back of the net time and time again and remind him. Was that conversation what you wanted, or are you just more of like, you know what, let's move on, I'm going to score goals and, and play for the red, white, and blue? Yeah, I feel like that was most like the conversation, you know, but it was also a, a conversation when he was, where he was asking me about my move for, to PSV, where he was asking me about, yep. you know, Champions League and, you know, how I was looking. He was excited for the draw. And, you know, it was it was a good conversation, but, you know, of course, at the end of the day, I'm, I told him I'm ready to work for the team. And, I, you know, any, any role that you're giving me in the squad, I'm going to, of course... You know, take it, and, you know, if I'm on the pitch, I'm going to try to score goals. Rico, when we talk about Ricardo Pepe, the number nine for the U.S. men's national team and PSV, what's the one thing you want all of us to talk about when we talk about you as a player? Uh, I feel like I describe myself better with, it's just I'm, I'm a hardworking person. You know, I like to work for my teammates, but also just scoring goals. So I feel like hardworking and scoring goals would be the best two words to describe my, my game. Rico, I appreciate you taking the time joining us. Good luck, my man. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate those two talking to us. I think it's the most interesting positional battle heading into the World Cup. I get it. We're three years away, but it's never too soon to be talking about who's leading that front line. That's all from us this week. Enjoy the international break. Enjoy the five MLS games. Good luck to our guests, Ricardo Pepe, Florian Balligan, And if either scores against Uzbekistan or Oman, yeah, they won't thank me. Let's be honest. I'm in the media. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Offside with Taylor Twelman is a Major League Soccer podcast produced by Apple TV and Rain Delay Media. Our executive producers are Peter Moses and John Yales. John and Nigi Monda were our editors. Michael Janelle was our engineer. Ryan Wallerson and Darren Miller were our field producers in L.A. Jonah Buchanan is our associate producer. Jonah and Iggy were our researchers. Music was composed by Brian Decker. And I'm your host, Taylor Twalman. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts.